I think our culture has trained us how to pick the right choice. I think of this when it comes to picking a good singer. We've had enough singing competitions where even non-singers can pick out someone who is pitchy and off. I think of American Idol and America's Got Talent, The Voice, The Masked Singer. There's even one where they try to guess who's a bad singer among them. In fact, I was watching uh, America's Got Talent, and I want to name drop a little bit. There was The Broken Roots, and this is a guy I worked out with at LA Fitness in New Lenox. So before he was famous, we worked out together. It's not just a good singing voice that we're trained to pick out. We pride ourselves on finding the best in the medical community. When getting a surgery, I've never heard of someone, yeah, we got the most average surgeon, you know, for the heart thing going on. No, we pretty much pride ourselves, we got the best, right? Renowned for what they do in this field. Then I think of products and companies. On average, how many reviews do you read before you use that company and buy that product? For me on Amazon, it's between 7 and 10. By the time I get that product, I even know what's wrong with it, but I accept it because some bad reviews have told me, right? So, so we know how to make good choices. In fact, this extends to many different things. It extends to the people we want our kids to marry. I have an idea of that prime candidate for my daughter, for my son, in our minds. I think of the time our church is, and right now we're going for a second pastor, and, and we have in mind, you know, I think who could suit us and fit us very well. And yet with all our informed decisions, do we always make the best choice? Even with all the information, do humans get it right every time? I know you're not all football fans, but can we talk about football? So it was the 2000 NFL draft, and the Bears did a good job. They got a guy named Brian Erlacher. I don't know if you heard of him. And, and then there was this quarterback that came in the sixth round. He was the 199th pick. Uh, a guy not many people knew from Michigan, and he was picked after Chad Pennington uh, to the New England Patriots, and that was Tom Brady. Sixth round, 199, and perhaps the best quarterback who's ever played. But, but then there was this, this other draft, the 1989 draft. In the 1989 draft, there was Troy Aikman and Barry Sanders and Deion Sanders and Lawrence Taylor, Hall of Famers, all in their own right. And the Packers had the number two pick. And who do they get? Tony Mandridge. Someone you've probably never heard of because he's a bust. Fueled by steroids, they could have had either of the Sanders, Barry Sanders or Deion Sanders, but they got this guy. With all the information, they still, still chose wrong. You know, this kind of reminds me of a Bible story. In the Bible, the people of Israel, they wanted a king. And when it came to the first king, everyone thought, this, this is it. This is our guy. This is a good king. In fact, the, the man's name was Saul. And in the Bible, it says this about him. It says, Saul was a handsome young man, as handsome as anyone in Israel, and was a head taller than anyone else. Surely Saul would be a good king. How did Saul work out? Bible people. Not so well. And then the next one, David. 
David was considered the runt. And when the prophet came to anoint a king from Jesse's household, went through the whole line of sons, left David out by the sheep, because surely it couldn't be David. But how did David work out as a king? The best king Israel ever had. A man after God's own heart. And so I want to teach something that's a a bit of a tangent for today, but I think it's substantial, and that's why I want to go there. Our first takeaway for today, if you're taking notes, is this. Is better than trusting in my choice is trusting in God's direction. You see, if you're currently living in a world where you have to make all the correct financial decisions and all the correct job decisions and all the correct relational decisions and product decisions and everything in your life is reliant on what you're choosing and how smart you are. That's an anxious life. You're probably never going to make a choice because you're always trying to get more information because if it's all up to you, Or maybe on the other side of the decision, you doubt yourself and you're like, oh man, why'd I choose that? Look at what's going on. Ah!" But what if a greater opportunity is to trust? What what if the greater opportunity is, yeah, I have to make a decision every day that I live, but I'm not going to base my entire life on my choosing. I'm going to base it on the fact that God goes with me. On every choice of life that I make, God goes with me to bless me in ways I could have never expected, to guide me in ways that were for my good. And so again, better than living and trusting that I'm such a good chooser is trusting God's direction. Consider this proverb. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. One is a pathway to peace, trusting One, you'll be anxious all your days if you have to be smart enough. You know, the way God chooses, it's interesting. Because what God chooses is oftentimes unexpected. When we consider how God chooses things, if we were God, we would never pick the people God chooses. If we were God, we would look down on the earth and say, no, surely not them. They're way too off. They're way too messed up and broken. Why? No. And yet God chooses messed up and broken things. And he says, come. Come to me. Know me. Know my goodness. Know my love. In fact, you need to know if you're just watching online, if you're just joining us, God chose you. He wants you to be part of his family and his kingdom forever. And it doesn't matter what you've struggled with, are struggling with, or will struggle with. It doesn't matter how much of your life you have together or don't right now. He chooses you to come be part of his kingdom. It's incredible. He is the God who didn't just choose us, but says, I want all to be saved. And come to a knowledge of the truth. And humans wrestle and say, well, surely not all. (laughs) Not the murderers. Not the different political party, not the people in the Middle East. Come on, surely not all. No, God says no. Because my choosing, it is different than your choosing. My ways are different than your ways. I'm higher than the ways of this world. And we see that in the story we're going to consider. So God is going to choose who to share the message of a Messiah 
who to share the, the, the announcement of Jesus' birth with. And out of all the people he could have chosen, all the rulers of the day, the highfalutin, the big names, you know who he chooses? Shepherds. The lowest on the rung. The lowest in society, shepherds. And we get to dive in and learn maybe why he chose those shepherds as we have time in the word of God. Now, I'm going to read a lesson that if you grew up in church, it's something you usually hear on Christmas Eve. Now, don't worry, we're going to have a great Christmas Eve. Uh, But we're also in these moments going to consider Luke 2. In consideration of Luke 2, I invite you to please stand as we hear the word of God. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Well, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. These are the incredible words of God. Before you sit down, could you say out loud or to someone next to you, be a shepherd? Be a shepherd. Yes, we'll talk about that. Please be seated. You know, it's interesting um, how we all have different role models for our lives. Um, I love talking with our teens. We had a great teen last night, last night. Uh, man, pizza and fun, skating. And, and whenever you talk to teens, they're all filled with sports and, and, and who they want to be like. And, and so we have a lot of hockey players. And Jonathan Taves, he always comes up as, as a guy, I want to be, you know, just like that guy, right? Jonathan Taves. And then, you know, if you're a business person, how can you not admire the life of Steve Jobs, uh, his audacity to do many things when it comes to innovation? Uh, if you're a homebody, um, perhaps you've heard of Marie Kondo and the things that spark joy. And I don't know about your household, but our household has a little bit more containers than it used to have in this organizational system that has taken a hold, swept the nation. Um, maybe for you, it's a coach, and, and you're a sports person yourself, and so there's so many great coaches to consider. Uh, Phil Jackson, I love. Uh, here's one, Lou Holtz. He's a great coach. John Wooden, right? We all have different role models when it comes to the arenas that we live in, right? And, and I'm not sure who you look up to right now. What's really interesting is that there was a time where Jesus gave us a role model. In fact, the disciples, they came up to Jesus and they pretty much asked, who's the best? Not the best hockey player or the best business person, but they came up to Jesus and they said this, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
And if you were to Jesus and you were to answer this question, who would you say? For me, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, you know, love that guy. No, but, but honestly, who could he say? He, he could talk about the obedience of an Abraham. And he could talk about the commitment of a Ruth. And he could call uh, David bold, and you should be like, David. But he does something unexpected. What Jesus does is he calls a little child to himself, and he sets the child in front of all of the disciples. And, and then guess what he says? He says this, Truly I tell you, unless you come like one of these little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And all these adults in this hierarchical system looking at this child who is a less than, you know, he hasn't earned his way in society. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, he's not talking about the, the age, thankfully. He's not talking about the innocence. He went on to say, and he said, you have to be lowly like a child. He was talking about humility. You know, in general... Children know that they should listen, and sometimes do. Not talk back. In general, you don't see children barking orders and commands if they are in charge. At least they shouldn't. In general, you don't make kids have these audacious claims. No, children, you know what they do? They listen, they follow, they obey, and they should because they're children. And it's because of this that maybe I start understanding... God's unexpected choice. God chooses who? Shepherds. He's going to announce this incredible message to shepherds. And I think a little bit of why. Because God entrusts the Christmas message to humble hearts. These were not people of renown. These were people on the lowest rung of society who actually didn't have a home because their home was in a field as they lived with sheep. That's still not like a great status thing. These were humble hearts. And I guess the reason it's unexpected to me is because if I knew that I needed to pronounce the Savior of the world had come, I know how I do it today. I'd use one of those emergency announcements. We've had a few of those on TV, haven't we? This year we've had just a few of those <laughs> emergency announcements. A lot of different things. I think there was an impeachment, the pandemic, some political things going on, right? And I would have interrupted everyone's live broadcast and let everyone know all at once, the Savior is born, the world has changed, you better not miss it. That's what I would have done. Or I consider they didn't have emergency announcements. What would I do then? Maybe going to the highest of society. You have to go to Caesar Augustus. He's the leader of the entire world right now. Or maybe send an angel to every one of the cities. You know, the angel has to go and tell all the important people what's going on. But maybe I know why he didn't. Do you remember what happened when Herod heard the news? So the wise men came and they asked Herod, uh, one of the leaders at the time, you know, where's this king who was born? And did Herod want to share this message with other people? Was Herod happy and rejoicing that a king was born? Herod was mad. 
Who is this threatening my reign? Who is this getting in the way of my name? In fact, from there, Herod decided to kill all the infants in the region, hoping that he would uh, eliminate one of his rivals. Herod was filled with so much pride, he couldn't see Jesus. He didn't want Jesus. And so what we learn from Herod is this. The Christmas message can be pushed out by pride. But, but then if, if he comes to humble hearts and pride pushes him out, I think of the way of this world. What does this world teach us to, do, to be? Does it teach us to be humble? To lower ourselves? To serve other people? Does it almost teach us the value of pride? Claiming your own, getting your voice in, making sure people know who you are. I don't know about you, but the way of the world is so much different than what I'm considering here. And unfortunately, sometimes it translates to my own heart too much. What about you? i got to be honest, it's, it's way easier to fight for my personal kingdom than to be humble and consider someone else's i got to be honest, it's, it's hard to walk each day in humility, out of love for Jesus, putting others before myself, denying myself. What about you? Do you struggle again with what God tells you to do and you wrestle with him and you say, no, 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 you can't be saying that, I don't have to do that. What about when it comes to others? Have you ever struggled with putting them before yourself? serving them out of love for Jesus. The struggle's real. So during Christmas, we repent of all the times we've been more like Herod, less like the shepherds. But the good news? Jesus comes anyway. <laughs> the remarkable news? Jesus comes knowing that he's coming for pride-filled know-it-alls who will be jealous and hot-tempered that he's going to steal the show. The people he's coming to, the Jews of that day, they didn't want him. They were so filled with themselves, thinking they were so good as Abraham's descendants. They were so good in how religious they were. They didn't even want him. Stop teaching Jesus. Let him get out of the scenes, Jesus. I wonder how many people today at the root don't want him. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me that you're king. I'm king. Who are you? But he comes anyway. And he humbles himself to be born and put in a barn. And that's not the greatest shame. He humbles himself to die in the worst way, death on the cross. And how could he do it? Humility. So that you and I, who he asked to be humble, as far as we ever go, he says, yeah, I went further. Out of love for you. To let you know you are mine to let you know you've been served for all the times you've been trying to serve me, to let you know you're forgiven and my child. 
He cannot accomplish the mission of Christmas without humility, and we cannot celebrate the message of Christmas without that same humility. Yes, he calls us to be shepherds, not kings. And there's more we can learn. The shepherds actually become examples for us. And to talk about this, I think of um, what it's like when mom or dad give an order. I don't know what your household is like, but in the household I grew up in, when, when mom or dad gave an order to do something, guess when they wanted it to be done? Now. <laughs> Tomorrow is not it. Next week, uh-uh. And next month, no way. When they said there's a chore to do, whether it clean the room or wash the dishes or fold the laundry, that meant now, mister. Anyone relate to this? Because what do you know as parents? Delayed obedience is actually disobedience, isn't it? If I have to tell you five times, you've been disobedient four times, right? If you finally did it on the fifth. All right, I'm stop picking on kids, adults. The boss. The client wants a certain thing. And you didn't ri- respond right away to the email. And now it's been a day, and now it's been two days, and now three days later. Oh, man, do I really have to respond because the guilt comes, and now I've been late, and da 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 So sometimes it's easier just not to do it and say, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's why I love learning from the shepherds. When the shepherds hear the news, um, all right, <laughs> I'm in a different section in my sermon. Did I tell you we had a teen thing last night? It was really, really fun, but it went a little bit late. <laughs> oh, man. So they went immediately. I will get to that point, but it's, it's way later. let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about, and they hurried off. You know, in my Bible study, I was reading about a man named Abraham. And Abraham wasn't a perfect person, but he was praised for many things. And one of the remarkable things about him was his immediate obedience. When, When God told Abraham to move, the next verse is, and he went. When God told Abraham to circumcise every male, it says on that very day, he went and did that. When God told Abraham to sacrifice the son he just gave, a man named Isaac, he went the next day on the mission to go and do what the Lord had said because delayed obedience is disobedience and that wasn't what Abraham was. And so what can humility help us do? It prompts our immediate obedience I wonder, in what area of our life do we struggle with immediate obedience? You know, if you're filled with pride, what can happen is that we start wrestling with God. We start making excuses. God, I can't do that financially. God, uh, that's not what everyone else is doing. And by the way, they seem just fine. God, did you really say Because I can find, you know, other people have explained it this way. And God, do I really have to? Sometimes our intelligence and wisdom gets in the way of the simple childlike faith to obey what the Lord has said. 
Yes, humility being like a shepherd is so great in how it prompts our immediate obedience. But there's more to learn from the shepherds, and for this I need to back up a little bit. You know, our mission here at Amazing Love is to reach the lost with the love of Christ. And it's interesting because when you share your faith, it takes a degree of humility. In fact, I I invite you uh, this Christmas to think of who you might invite either to this place or to watch online. But as you think of, of who you might invite and what that conversation might look like, it's humbling. You know, it's interesting. Every time that I've had the opportunity of sharing my faith, if I was truly concerned about what people thought about me, I probably wouldn't. I had a recent reaction. I was talking to a gentleman, um, and, uh, and this gentleman was asking me as a pastor, you know what, um, did I say the right thing? They were trying to look at kind of me informing their decision. I knew what they wanted me to say. Yeah, you said the right thing. Don't worry about it. You said the right thing. That's what he wanted to hear. But instead of confirming what he wanted to hear, you know what I said? I said, you know, I don't believe that I always do the right thing. In fact, better than me trying to convince myself I've done the right thing is knowing that I've been forgiven through Jesus. And so I led the conversation that way. And that's why I love Jesus, because rather than me being right and good, is him forgiving my sins. And then I took it even further. In the middle of body tech gym, I started praying with a man among muscular people. Two guys praying to Jesus. That's humbling. What are the other guys going to say? Humility is required if we do want to speak about God. As I back up, it empowers us to speak of him because you think of the shepherds. What is the message that they have to share to the people? They're going to go out and they're going to tell them that an angel appeared. And then they're going to say, it wasn't just one angel, it was an army of angels. And then they're going to make the audacious claim that a Savior has been born, someone who's the biggest superhero of all time. He's finally come into the world to change things, but by the way, he's in a barn. It's a crazy message. If they were fueled by thoughts of what are they going to think about us, they could have been imagining, oh, okay, Bob, how long have you been with the sheep? Did you get any rest last night? A barn for the Messiah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Thanks, Tony. They didn't care. They had saw something so incredible that in audacious humility, they chose to speak. And that's what we do. We say better than what you think about me and better than my reputation is that you know what has happened. Jesus the Savior is real. He was born. He lived. He died and rose again. And you need to know about it. And it's interesting, as they received the message from the angels, they became angels themselves. Angel just means messenger. And I wonder how many heard from a shepherd and then told someone else, and then they became an angel. And then there was this kind of great snowball effect. Now you think about packing a a snowball. Get some snow, a little bit more, a little bit more. If you get enough, you can start building a snowman. 
You've seen about four times my favorite snowmen, Calvin and Hobbes. Love those guys. I'm going to recreate one of Calvin's someday. But you know how snowballs work. They just keep growing because of the momentum. And Dave Ramsey, he talks about a snowball and a great way of eliminating debt. But but how much better is it when the snowball effect takes course in, in church? When one person knows of Jesus and tells another person about Jesus and tells another and another and another, and soon you have this big snowball of people who heard of Jesus because one person had the audacity and the humility to, to speak of him. This is how we accomplish the mission. But yes, it takes humility. And if you do it, what will happen? If people see Jesus for who he is, look at the reaction once again of the message. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. Do you remember first hearing the gospel? Are you still ever amazed at the gospel? That God would choose you and forgive you? I remember this moment where I saw what the gospel meant to someone. We just moved to the area and we were going door to door. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's seared into my memory because the intensity of moments will really sear memories. <laughs> I was at a lady's door and she had asked us, you know, what do you guys believe? And I just shared something, the bridge, how we're separated from God and that the cross of Jesus is, is the reason I can be right with God. And, and she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Because if you see the gospel for what it is, you can't help but be amazed. God, you choose me? Don't you know who I am? God, what? It's amazing. And we have the opportunity to amaze people as we share Jesus this Christmas. But yes, humility is needed. One last thing that the shepherds teach us to be through their humility is to be concerned about something other than themselves. You know, when it comes to pride, people fueled by pride have a hard time really seeing other people. It reminds me of posting pictures on Facebook or Instagram. When you post a picture of yourself and there are other people in the picture, do you post the picture that makes you look good or the one that makes them look good? If everyone else is blinking but you're not and you've got the pick of the day, do you care that they're blinking? Do you even see them if you're looking your best? Competitors, if you've been playing a game so concerned about how your performance is, do you even see what your teammates are doing or care? Do you even recognize the abilities of the other team and congratulate them at the end of the day? Or are you so just bent out of shape based on how you did? When you get all dressed up and you go to a wedding, do you have time to see what they're wearing? Or are you just concerned, oh, I'm here. When we are fueled with pride, 
we miss things. We don't see it. What did the shepherd have? They just had sheep. It's all that was in their lives. Not high class, not a lot of noise. They're out in the field. And so why does God show up with an angel? And by the way, I don't know of any other account that comes to mind where an army angel was sent. You think of all the angel accounts. In fact, when God defeated 180,000 people, the Assyrians who were besieging Jerusalem, he only sent one angel. Here we have the account of an army angel. Why? Because these are people who will finally appreciate it. These are people who will never forget and not crowd out the message of Jesus and what they have seen. These are hearts that can appreciate it. And so what did the shepherds do? They glorified God and they praised him for all that they had seen and heard. And I think their lives were lowly enough to finally catch the significance of what this moment was. And what humility does, it prompts us to praise See, here's the hard part about Christmas in America. People with filled with so many possessions and activities and their own lives can crowd out the beauty of the Savior who is born. We can crowd it out by what our kids want for Christmas, crowded out with all the programming going on, and I better see the nutcracker, and I better see this, and I better go there, crowded out with trees, and crowded out with things that just don't matter. But in humility, if you cut through it all and say, I just want to see Jesus, then you'll celebrate well. Then it won't matter if the food was good or if you got what you wanted for Christmas. Because you'll see what the shepherds saw. A Savior born just for you brings good news of great joy. Let's be like the shepherds. Let us humble ourselves to hear his voice and act on what he said. Humble ourselves to say the only thing that truly matters is Jesus right now and forever. And then you'll have reason for true celebration. Amen.